A very special thanks to our friends at ChannelFireball.com and, of course, Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Can you dig it? Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air day and night. Get me out of happening? murder which is sweeping the eastern third of the nation is being committed by creatures who feast upon the flesh of their victims. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Hail to the king, baby. What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 36 of Mana Screwed. I am Tangent. With me, as always, is the Beamy. Hey, hey, hey. And, of course, the most hated man in magic, Jack. People say my tennis shoes love anal because I kick so much ass on a daily basis. <laughs> All right, so we are here once again to astound and amaze you with news and information from around the magic universe. So just kick back, relax, grab a beer, because you know I am, and enjoy the show. Roberto, what is it's... on the agenda? Oh, we got some articles to talk about. We have... Some thank yous to give out, a um, little bit of this and that. Uh, um, a subject that I've wanted to bring up for a while about trying to help people in magic and maybe, maybe, maybe some picks for player of the year 2010 just for some fun so we can keep track of them. That sounds awesome to me. Jack, any problems yeah, with that? I guess I'm cool with that. Yeah, that <laughs> works. All right. So... Uh, on to, uh, your first subject, I mean, you know, how did you guys feel about the awards show? I liked it a lot, personally. Basically, uh, my thought was is that it was really great to have the community involved with it, and next year to potentially have the podcasting community do the announcing of the awards and then to actually have some of the people actually win the awards, you know, say an acceptance speech. Um, sounds like a unique opportunity to really get everybody involved, which is what we're trying to do with this. I totally agree. I think it would be really cool to be able to, you know, th I think it was cool to have the other cast involved. I think it'd be better to even, to just increase that, to increase the, the amount of people. Of course, the... Your microphone's like picking up every sound <laughs> in the world, but uh, so anyway, uh, to to have people, you know, uh, give the nominees and really make like a larger pool of people that we're pulling nominees from, and then narrow down the nominees um, to to like to a real, you know decent group, one that people will not be able to find too many complaints with, you know, the true, like, best ofs. I mean, it was fun to have, like, an insight joke in there and things like that for best card of the year, but when it comes down to trying to do the serious awards show, like, I, I thought that was funny, and it was, and it was amusing to me, but, um... You know, if we're going to try and do the thing right, then we should probably, like, weed out things that are either not really even going to have a chance at getting votes 
you know, make sure that the things that may or may not have, like, okay, I mean, of course, this isn't going to happen, so I'm going to use this most extreme case just to make my point. Let's say, you know, our thousand nominees come in and no one nominated Jace the Mind Sculptor for card of the year. Well, mm-hmm. you know, then we would just obviously throw Jace the Mind Sculptor in. Much the same way we should have thrown in Primeval Titan and thrown in Vengevine. Just to have these, I mean, you know, there, there, there are certain cards that, I mean, Mana Leak, you know, Frost Titan could have been on there. A lot of, a lot, any of the Titans really could have been on the list. So there's, we just want to make sure that the cards that truly deserve to get on there, get on there. But we want to we want to take a list of nominees to give us all the ideas that weren't perhaps not going to think of already. If that makes sense, you know. I mean, yeah. like we're not going to think of every single article over the course of the year. Like we want to increase a couple categories, like have article of the year. That was one suggestion that was made, and we didn't do that. So. Mm-hmm. You know, article of the year. Well, we're not going to have read every single article, but if we get a list of nominees, then we can sort through those articles and figure out, you know, what ones seem to be the most popular. Sure. Well, um, I would like to say that, first of all, I had a lot of fun recording this. It was the most fun I've had recording a podcast in a long time, and I dare say it was probably the most fun I've had recording a podcast. Um, and, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that leapt in at the last moment there and supported us and really, like, tried to get their stuff to us on time. I mean, the fact that we took this, what was going to be just a very small and very entertaining way to end the year between the three of us, and it blossomed kind of into this enormous thing, I think is, A, a testament to the power of the Magic playing community, and be a testament to just how prevalent and interlinked we are with the technology we use. So, um, yeah, thank you once again to everybody that left in and helped us. Um, next year, we are definitely going to try and do some quality assurance. I mean, like, it's like I was saying, I I don't know about you guys, but I don't really th- thought we ex- – I did not expect the response we got when we started this. I'll be honest. Did no, you? No, I didn't. And that's – and that, like you're saying, I mean, that's exactly – the way that I feel about it. Like, I'm really happy with the people that came in. I'm especially happy with the people that came in, like, at the second half because after the initial response, like, literally the initial response, like, after the nominees and the poll first went up, the response was pretty harshly negative and from some fairly important people. And... The problem mostly had to be with the fact that we didn't do our, you know, enough quality control, like you're saying, and 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 that's fine. But again, it was initially just meant for the three of us. It blew up beyond like anything we had in our minds at all, and so we weren't expecting to have to do this quality control. It was just going to be for fun. So yeah, we should have we should have put more time into it, which we will definitely do next time. But luckily, you know, I mean, seriously, I'd thought about just pulling the pole down and just scrapping it because it was, the, the negativity was just overwhelming at first. But then, you know, thankfully the rest of the community came through and supported us and thought it was a great idea and really gave a lot of good insight and a lot of, of uh, constructive 
criticisms about the thing. And it really, you know, all it's going to make us do at this point is just make the show ten times better next year. Absolutely agreed. So how about this SCG Live thing, guys? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, SCG Live, that that, that kind of reminds me of this thing called GG's Live that we used to have. Correct. And two of our favorite hosts are, actually three of them actually, are a part of it. The guys from UNTG Taps and our friend Gavin Verhey, who does the Monday Night Magic thing when he gets an opportunity. And I just want to say from personal experience from working with Gavin, like, he really has earned it. Like, he's been working extremely hard through both his articles and just trying to, like, get success in tournaments and stuff like that. Um, that it makes me happy to see him reach this kind of success in the community. Like, that, to see somebody's work actually pay off, it's just, it's it's heartwarming. Yeah, I completely agree. And not only with Gavin, who's done, just like you said, I mean, between being on Monday Night Magic, working his way up in the pros, and, you know, just doing so much work for the community, which is awesome. And Big Head Joe and Joey Pasco, who who not only put one of the best podcasts out there, look even, f- they go above and beyond every time when they can, even for our awards show. The work that they put into just putting together that little giveaway of the award was awesome. I mean, those guys are are great. They're perfect for this. And I think it's really awesome that, you know, those three are working together on that. Well, it'll definitely propose some, it'll give us a little more consistency when it comes to their shows as far as who's on and who's not on. And it actually is good for the viewing public because they like to associate the show with certain people, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. The only the only place where random random hosts seem to ever work, and that seems to be Monday Night Magic. But you know, that's <laughs> hey, we we have uh, we've had a few uh, random hosts on our uh, show before too. So, in yeah, fact, Big Head not, Joe, not, for that matter. Yeah, but not as random as not as random as that is. I mean, hey, you have to be on Skype at the right time. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> that's pretty much about it. Yes. Oh, man. Um, well, I'm kind of curious about one thing here. Yes. You had some really crazy thing you wanted to talk to us about. He's been keeping well, it secret yeah. all day, Tangent. Mm-hmm. My gosh, I've been trying to pry yeah, this information ninja. out since lunch. So I've been... I have a... My playgroup is not exactly the... Uh, it's a casual playgroup. And... I am trying to raise one of the people out of the Timmy stage of building decks and take them to at least the Johnny stage. Okay. And it's a very hard process because, in my case, I'm still trying to convince him that 60 cards is better than 65 cards, and I'm trying to explain it to him how to do it. I guess my question is, is how do you get someone out of the... Because we've all been there. We've all been Timmy's, and... Most of us ascend to some level of Johnny, and then, of course, to be Spike, you know, you're, you know, that that's Conley's, those are, you know, the AJ Sowers, you know, the people like that, the people that really take deck building to a whole new art level. 
how do you work on getting someone from the Timmy to the at least the Johnny level? I was looking to just throw it to you two guys and see what you thought. Well, I'd say definitely. Um, there's a few base things you can teach him, like especially when it comes to deck building, like the mana curve. Um, does he know anything about the mana curve, like how to curve out your spells and everything properly? I've tried working on that with him last time, and mm-hmm. because we play this combined forty life thing, yeah, he tr- he doesn't treat the game like it's twenty. Yeah, he treats the game like it's forty, so therefore he can have the whole front end be nothing and wait for the back end. But that's not the way the game plays. Even in a game of 40, you're still playing a game of 20 because if I race to 20 before you're even getting things out there, and by the time you start getting stuff out there, it's too late. Right. So I've worked on that. Well, I would. the best thing I can say is try and get that through to him because, honestly, when you understand the mana curve, um, which it's almost as important as understanding the stack, which I'll get to next, um, when you can see how a deck properly flows out and, like, you get your spells when you need them and you always have the right amount of mana to cast them and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, part of the learning how to mana curve your deck is learning how many lands you need and things like that and uh, which amount is proper for which archetype. Um but that that comes with experience. Uh, I mean, I never thought there would be a day when I was playing 26 lands and fairies, let me tell you. But all the same, if he can see how much more synergistic a properly curved deck is compared to, oh, hey, I'll just ramp out, and then I'm going to this, cast this creature that costs, like, six. Oh, shit, you have mana leak. Oh. I mean, like, if he can see how that functions... And you can understand it. I think you will probably give it more respect, and also that will elevate his skill level in deck building perhaps a little bit more. Um, the other thing that I would say is probably the most important thing for him to come to realize is um, what kind of decks does he like to, to play typically? Do are there a lot of tricks involving the stack at all, Robert? I'm sorry, what was that again? Um, what kind of decks does he like to play? Are there a lot of tricks involving the stack, um, or is it mostly like aggro and stuff like that? Um, he's, he's, he's very themey. Yeah. I guess the best way to describe it is, is he likes his elves, he likes his goblins, he'll play direct damage red. He doesn't, he doesn't have a hybrid format. It's either I'm all in one thing and I'm trying to work on him to be able to spread out what he does with a deck. Mm -hmm. So therefore he has options, not that he's stuck down one linear path. Right. Well, obviously, then he doesn't really—he's never encountered a situation where knowing how to resolve a trigger or an ability on the stack was detrimental to you either winning the game or losing it. If you could teach him something like that, I'd definitely say that that's very important, and that learning the stack is what makes and breaks the better players. Honestly, um, and as far as like you mentioned that he's stuck in like a very thematic way of the deck building, um, to me. Uh, Magic has always been about versatility and how you can handle yourself game one and how well you know the stack and how well curved out your deck is, which also means having enough options to answer any threat that might come your way game one. You know, game two, if you you guys use a sideboard, yeah, that's a different matter entirely. But definitely, if you could teach him mana curving and the stack, then you can move on to how to build a versatile deck that can handle different threats. I mean, okay, like, let's take uh, Goblins, for instance. Um, 
if he wants to focus on a more aggro version, he could work out something where he has goblins that give them fear when a certain ability triggers on the stack. Um, he could go with, like, Goblin Ringleader and have its ability go on the stack and then kill it and sacrifice it to something to give something a plus one counter and blah, 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 blah. Um, there's a lot... Th- those are probably the three most important things you can teach them at this point with deck building. And, I mean, later, yeah, you can move on to more spike-tastic things like how to resolve combos that shouldn't actually occur and stuff like that. But for the meantime, definitely mana curving and versatility and the stack are more, very important. Okay. Tangent? <clears throat> well, I agree with him about the mana curve thing. I mean, one one of the main things that he needs to understand is it's a game of math. And, <clears throat> and I mean, this is one of the hardest things, like, even when people would try and explain to me. I just never wanted to drop, like, below 70 cards. And I don't mean, like, I was one of those people that wanted to have as many cards as I could. It was like... There were certain cards I liked, and I wanted them in my deck, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to get rid of, of, you know, the cards that I wanted to have in there, and it was like, uh, understanding the fact that I then had to, if I was going to play 70 cards, I had to increase my number of lands, so it wasn't like I could just have 10 more cards I wanted. I'd have to increase the the land at the same time in order to be able to make 70 work. But even that being said, I was going to run into, because there was more cards in my deck, I was going to run into more land clumps or, you know, get mana screwed more often just because the odds when you increase the number of cards the odds of that happening also increases so you have to be able to to get him to understand the fact that as you drop down the number of cards i mean ideally like if if every player out there that really knows the game could play with a 40 card deck they would yes. you know because it's it, it's you. It's about hitting the cards you want to hit every time. You want to be able to curve out and hit those cards. I mean, if if you're playing elves, like say the old extended elves, or even elves before Lorwyn rotated out or whatever, you could play 16 to 20 land easy because you're playing half of your creatures, more than half your creatures, or one casting cost. So it was fine to be able to do that, but that doesn't work normally. And so he has to he has to understand not only that, I mean, basically that it's a game of math, and that if yep. he wants to be able to hit uh, the cards that he wants to see, then it's better to pull his deck down in numbers so that he's more likely to hit those cards. See, what his problem is is he views it as, and he's talked to me about it. You use it as well, late game. What do I do if I get this? You know, whatever this two, you know, two power creature. When I could have this creature in there and hit it, it'd be like seven. And I'm like, you're you're not understanding. You have to have these cards in the right time frame. So if you have, if you open up your hand and you have four lands and three big creatures that cost six, you're never going to play them. Yeah, exactly. You start the same hand with four lands, two two drops, and one of those six drop creatures. You have aggro out early. 
you have something out there to put as a threat early on. Right. I said, you want people to burn their their removal cards early, so like when you do have your bombs, they don't get destroyed. Yeah, exactly. And and that's I guess that's the thing is like, pull, try and get. Um, hmm. I would say this, depending on you know you're trying to move him up to a Johnny level. Um, mm-hmm. One good piece of advice would simply be for new players. Direct him to articles. Say, say, I know that you're wanting to get better, and I know that maybe I'm not the best one to be explaining to you why things should be this way, right? That mm-hmm. that maybe, like, in addition to me helping you, you could, in your own time, go here and read this article. And, you know, if even if it's something, say he doesn't have the Internet for whatever reason, I've heard there's a couple of dinosaurs that don't, um, mm-hmm. If he doesn't, then print it out for him or something, you know, and just take it to him and say, look, here's some articles. These are pros. There's no one that knows it better than these people, and they will explain to you why. And just give them articles that talk about the theory behind building a deck, you know, and trying to get the the most out of the deck that you're putting together. Because it's, it's not just about wanting to see that six drop or seven drop or whatever. What happens if you don't? Do you have an early game that, that you know, you want to curve out, but, but is your early game able to sustain you until you do find the big guy? Is your early game able to possibly win before you even find it? Or are you playing... I mean, because if you're not playing control, if you're playing an aggressive, like, green deck... You want to be putting pressure on like right away. I mean, you're not necessarily, you know, you're you're not really a control deck, right? So so you're going to want to be able to put pressure on even before you get those huge guys out. So he he just he needs to understand that that like the key is if he if he drops the number of cards down in his deck to 60, then his deck as long as he's built his curve properly, it's more likely going to hit the curve. If he increases the number beyond 60, then it's less likely to curve out. I mean, if you're able to drop it down to 40 and you had your curve built perfectly, you'd curve out a lot, a lot more frequently than you would in a 60-card deck. Yep. Well, like I said, and, and um, I will take any people's opinions on that. Uh you can hit me up on Twitter under uh, the Beamy, or you can send emails to maskroot at gmail.com, and I will read them and help my friend out who's just, like I said, I my playgroup is very much stuck in the past, literally with their cards and how they play, and I'd like to at least take one of them up to a Johnny level, so there is different interaction. My biggest, The biggest thing I get is, how do you get so many duplicates of your cards? And I keep trying to explain it to them. It's as simple as math. If I only have 60 cards, the odds of me seeing more than one of the four I have in my deck jumps dramatically for every card I drop out of the deck. And I'm trying to get that through their heads, and it's not as easy as it seems. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can all think back to when we first started and trying to figure those things out, so I understand where you're coming from. 
Okay. Well, like I said, and, and I'm open to anybody's opinion on this. So, like I said, hit me up on Twitter, and or send it to themanscrewedgmail.com, and we'll be I'll be more than glad to read your thoughts on it. But I do know that we have some articles to talk about, Jack. We most certainly do. And gentlemen, allow me to start off with the lovely Apollo talking about his 2010 uh, review and how the year treated him in many ways that were good and then, well, you know, not so good. Um, most certainly, his also his discussion about worlds and what a roller coaster that was. Um, what about you guys? Did you guys get a chance to actually read this? For chance? Sorry. I did. What'd you think about it? He's very insightful when it comes to things and very honest about things, which is, I mean, which is good, which is what you want in a writer, but it seemed like there were a point in the season where it almost seems like he felt he was, like, non-competitive, which is weird because we're talking about a guy who is, like, in the top 20 all-time in points at age 23, I believe. So, well, the only thing I, I mean, the main know, thing it, that it I, was interesting. The main thing I noticed, and probably the most important thing in my opinion, would be he doesn't include uh, discovering the Mana Screwed podcast in his highs for 2010, <laughs> and I think that's a little weird. So, well, like I said, well, when he wins an award next year, maybe that's when he'll discover it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we also had more more articles on Channel Fireball. Uh, Matt Nass talked about extended Valakut uh, options, including the now uh, green, red, white, blue combination for Wargate, uh, which is very much the rage if you want to talk about on oh, on Moto and on Twitter and. You know, also other decks. It's interesting because the, his build is an aggro build with Scapeshift and Prismatic Omen, and that's a huge combo and extended to be able to work those two together. And his Wargate build includes Lotus Cobra instead of Figure of Destiny. And he also discussed about using Mana Pros, which is uh, an art card that's one in a green or a red that allows you to get two mana of any color. And it's more like the current Valakut builds, and he also gives credit to Jerry Thompson for that comp, like using that card in that deck. I mean, who saw? Who would have seriously seen Valakut becoming such a ridiculously huge beast that it is? From the, be- I mean, from the very first time that it came out, no one thought anything of that card. Oh, that's five mountains. That's ridiculous. You know, it was just like now it's it's it took standard by storm. Now it's you know going to make a you know serious beating and extended. It's just crazy. Well, well honestly, though, that wouldn't have been possible in standard unless Primeval Titan had been printed. I mean, no matter how much ramp you can get out, Primeval Titan gives you that much more of an advantage with Valakut. Now, in extended, I'll be completely honest here. I'm surprised that Prismatic Omen uh, did not spring to people's minds more readily when this card was printed. I mean, because that's kind of a, well, duh. Yeah, yeah, it is. I've actually always kind of been amused by Prismatic Omen, but... It was one of those cards that you always thought, well, that seems like it could be really cool, but there's nothing out there really to make it that awesome until 
now. And then <laughs> they print it. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, it shows it shows the depth of the community to be able to take cards from that far back and incorporate them with current cards to make it a real dangerous combination. It, it's it's a it's it's really good and it's funny because like what was it two weeks ago? Wargate was a card that you could find in the in the dollar bin anywhere, and now Wargate's like. Like one of the most talked about cards out there. It's like, and now it's a dollar fifty. Yeah, which it doesn't seem like much, but to the person, no, I was just—I don't it, know what it is. I was just kidding, man. Well, since we're recording. <laughs> let's look it up live. That's right what now, I was thinking. We? Okay, Wargate is. Come on. Oh, I love you, AT and T, and how slow ass you. Oh, oh, tangent, tangent. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong, actually. Okay. Okay, w- would you like to know how much Wargate is? Sir? More than anything. Yes. Yes, Jack, I would. Okay, <laughs> take your number and add more to it. I won't say how much more. Let's let's just take a random guess. And if you look this up, you're a cheating line ass. A dollar so, fifty-five. No, 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 much, much, <laughs> no, exponentially. Three, th- okay, I'll say, I'll seriously, I'll make a serious guess. Uh, four fifty. Well, are we talking foil or non-foil here? Non-foil. Okay, foil. Uh, it's going for five bucks currently. It is actually a dollar ninety-nine. Oh yeah, you, you. That's that was so exponentially higher than what I said. I know, I mean, the, the, well, it was, you took five cents higher than your initial bet, so it is actually exponential. But, I mean, you know, the, this card is so talked about that it's had a 100% markup. Nice. Wow. <laughs> well, well, you look at it this way, I mean, you know, that's, you know, it's three ninety nine on and one ninety nine on Channel Fireball, and it's funny because you look at these cards and sometimes you wonder how quickly the prices change on things, but the work that's involved just to keep things current as far as pricing goes is a tremendously difficult task. And I mean, you know, you look at these little stores that try to do it on their own and those are the ones that always tend to get burned because, you know, they don't have the staff like a Channel Fireball or a Star City Games or, uh, you know, any of your large retailers of cards that have a staff that constantly monitor the prices of this stuff to be able to make sure that they're up to date. I mean, you know, you look at the explosion of pre-release cards and pre-release, um, you know, mythics and how their prices roll, like, go like on a roller coaster ride. And. Mox Apple, you know, for example? Yeah. Good, good example. Good example. You know, now Mox Opal's actually found a home. Unfortunately, it's not being used for what it's supposed to be there for, but... Well, uh, I think I think it's all, like, when you're talking about the smaller stores, it's all about what you're willing to put into it. I mean, if to me, it seems like, and this is no offense to the smaller stores, I understand they only have so much time for things, but if you really want to be the most successful you can be, you're going to put in the time. Look, look at say John Medina. Medina operates on his own. Yeah, I mean, not not to say that he doesn't have people that he talks to and goes to, but the whole point is, is when he goes and adjusts his prices and everything, he's doing that. 
but but he's very successful at what he does, and he watches all the time to to see what the trends are and to see where where the prices are going, and he's on top of that stuff. So so I mean, store owners could it doesn't matter who you are, if you want to commit the time to it, you can take care of that. You don't. It's it's just about whether or not you want to commit the time to it. If you really care about magic and you really care about your store and you're really trying to make money, then you'll commit the time to it and you'll you'll you know when you find out something's changing or going up or down in value, you'll be on top of it. Well, John, All right, guys. Okay. Since we're uh, we're talking about wildly fluctuating cards here, uh, <laughs> who wants to take a stab as to what survival of the fittest is worth currently? Currently, I would say, I'll say. Uh, are we talking about online, or are we talking about? In, We're talking uh, about a physical copy of the card. Uh, it was going for fifty. I, I'll say. I'll just guess eighty. Well, on Star City Games, it's going for a thirty, and everywhere else, it is still going for forty dollars, despite not having a home in anywhere but Vintage right now. Okay. Well, I thought maybe I thought maybe you were only saying that because it like boosted up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I guess the expectation was that it was going to be going down. I thought you were trying to trick us or something. No, no, no. I mean, that's that's shocking that it's still that much despite everything that's going on. So yeah, I mean, pricing cards is an extremely difficult job because you just never know. I mean, imagine if a place like marked down the value of Survival of the Fittest to like five bucks post banning, right? Right, right. And uh, like. Channel Fireball was like, okay, well, um, we're going to take a speculative price on this, and we'll keep it at $50. And Channel Fireball actually ended up being in the clear, right? Right. I mean, it, it, it's an enormously difficult task, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, no, I, it is. It's a very difficult task. I'm just... My my whole point is just simply that if that's what you want to do, if that's what you're in business for, I mean, I'm not in business to buy and sell cards, right? So, right. you know, I mean, let's put look at it this way. People that work the stock market are always watching things, right? They've just got to, uh, they've, they've got to keep an eye on, on the trends, uh, on how things are going. They've got to be ready to buy and sell and, and yet, it's just one of those things. Like, yeah, you know, it's only open for trading at certain times if you're down on Wall Street. But it's just the idea that you've got to always be on top of your game if if you want to be involved in certain businesses. And that's and this is one of those businesses where if you want to be in it and you want to be really really successful, then you just got to always be watching and prepared. Okay. Um, well, there also was. An interesting video that was on this week. Uh, a couple of interesting videos. Uh, Tangie, why don't you talk about the first one? Okay. So Tristan and Brad Nelson and LSV discuss the player of the year situation. There's a video that they have of what could have been him not being or being player of the year. And they don't know the format of the playoff. Um, I guess he wants four of seven, a four of seven match because it's a year-long award with the possible multi-format standard extended legacy. Uh, I haven't seen the video, and I know that Roberto has. So why don't you tell me about the video? Well, they they go into discussion about what, you know, how it could have been, how it how it potentially could have ended up that one more win 
or one more loss would have lost him being even tied for player of the year or potentially winning player of the year outright. And no one expected uh, Manteon to make it to where he did. He had to win the tournament plus get three points from the team play in order to tie. And he managed to pull that out. And what they discussed about it is because they don't want this to be like a standard match, which is two out of three, because if you do it that way, then it, it could just it could be that the skill of the player may not come into question, maybe just be a good matchup. Right, it could just be they, luck, yeah. Yeah, which is why they said they wanted to go across maybe a multi, multi-format, either a standard, what, two out of three in standard, two out of three in extended, two out of three in legacy. So you could truly see who the best player of the year would be, which is interesting. I hmm. personally, personally, I would love to see that. And the other problem they were talking about is when this was going to happen. What? When is it? Well, they don't have a decision on that. They don't have a decision on what the format's going to be. And the problem is, is you have a Grand Prix going on then, and it's not like uh, Brad Nelson and. Guillaume are not going to want to participate in it. You know, you're going to ruin your chance of losing 2011 Player of the Year to stick this in. They need to come up with something for this and come up with a decent situation that will work for them. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually come up with. Well, you know my motto. When the going gets tough, quit. I'd just say quit. Just to scrap the 2010 Player of the Year, just say, sorry, Ended in a tie. You both split it. You're both half the player of the year. And there you go. It's perfect. No. no it, it is. Getting a tie is like kissing your sister. It's just awkward. Well, maybe they like kissing their sisters, though. You know? Either I mean, they're not from North Carolina. That's not possible. That's. Either. I guess that's true. Guys, it'll be the most watched match if it's put on, if it's put on Wizard's site. It'll be the you highest they, watched event they should on Wizard's site. actually history. do. What's Instead that? of an actual, like, magic match, they should just have, like, both of them get in a cage fight and be like, okay, you both look like Grizzlies, go at it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll take Brad Nelson in a in a cage match anytime. He he really intimidates me, so yeah, I'm going to go with that, <laughs> I think uh I think they do need to figure it out. It really, to me, doesn't make sense that this hasn't been figured out in the past. That that like takes me back to the whole the whole um, like you were referring to football you know or before or a little earlier when we were talking to sports in general and you know the the first NFL overtime game they didn't even have rules for the overtime <laughs> like what what exactly. Do you do you come up with a game and you put it make it a professional sport and you don't have rules for ties or for overtime? That doesn't make any sense. You should have this all planned out. I mean, there is always going to be a potential for a tie in anything. Those things have to be figured out in advance, especially when you take things to a professional level. That's really not very well thought out. I just didn't want to rant about it. I thought it was more amusing to talk about goofy stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is if you 
if you know that mathematically there is going to probably be some point in time where a tie is possible at something, then you should have a plan for that. And 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 this just isn't well thought out. These guys shouldn't be sitting here worrying about what's going to happen. They should already know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I mean, to be honest with you, if this happened at Worlds and they knew this, they should have done it at Worlds. I mean, that should have been the finale to Worlds. Should have been them playing out Player of the Year. This stuff just, it doesn't make sense to me that, that anyone would have a professional sport of any kind and not have preparations for this in place. No, I agree. But like I said, it's, it's one of those situations of if you don't think it's ever going to happen, you don't prepare for it. And in their case, they just, they didn't prepare for it. It was, it was a mistake. And it's almost like, like you said, it's like, what do you do now? And they're going to learn and hopefully come up with some, a better guideline for it for next time around. But Jack, I think, I think one of your favorite writers wrote an article this week and, uh, was a winner of a couple winners of, uh, of a couple of awards on, uh, or award show. Now, you can't quite possibly be talking about Lewis Scott Vargas, could you? No. No. Or, or is it Luis or Lewis? Luis? Luis. I think we're talking about LSB, actually. LSB. That's, there that's you very go. nice and neutral. Okay. So, anyways, uh, this week on Channel Fireball, LSV decided to talk about what he considers the big baddies over an extended. And this is very relevant to my interest because I'm going to be going to the GP Atlanta um, here in roughly two weeks or so, even though I don't have a hotel or anything else, and I'm probably going to be sleeping in a car. And what made me really excited about this article is he mentioned fairies, which, shh, don't tell anybody, kitties, that's what I'm going to be playing. Of course you are, Jack. And when you take LSV down with that, you can say, I thank your article to help me play fairies. Yeah, well, what am I supposed to say to him otherwise? Just, you know, at first I came to you as the, the student, and now I'm the master, and I, like, whipped <laughs> all my neighbor and beat him over the head with it or something. Yes. Uh, like, what really excited me about this article was that my deck list that I've come up with all on my own, just by my own basic intuition with fairies, is a lot like the core he has listed for it. And he went through the motions of mentioning, hey, you know, Wall of Tangle Court is a lot better than we thought it was going to be. And, oh, wow, you know, Worm Coil Engine is exactly what this deck needed. Um, and he also confirmed uh, a couple of my doubts about certain cards, but also my nagging suspicions that I was actually going to need a few. Um, Ratchet Bomb is a card that, in testing... Has not exactly gone up to par for me, but admittedly, I have not gotten as much testing done for this deck as I wanted to get done for this deck. Um, and he basically says, you know, hey, there's, this is going to be great when you go up against Blah deck or this, or, you know, there's going to be those random Elf Aggro decks you need to use this yep. on. The, uh, especially like the uh, Tempered Steel deck, uh, where that's going to be wor- worthwhile. Um, and he goes over sideboarding options and uh, alongside this, he also mentioned four-color control, which is a, what one of my best friends, Jacob Humphreys, is going to be playing. And so, like, this article is very relevant if you're going to be playing either archetype, but also I would like to say that you should probably read it if you're preparing to battle those archetypes, because if somebody like LSV comes out and says, hey, wow, fairies is really, really good, and four-color control is really, really good, you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to see thousands of people playing them at the GP, and you're going to need, need to be prepared for it, by all means. Yeah, be prepared for that Quill Spike combo. 
Yeah, it's gonna come out of nowhere. Like, no, that's that's what I love about Grand Prix and uh, like the Pro Tour and everything is like, sure, you're gonna have some guy playing Fairies, and yeah, you're gonna have some guy playing like Prismatic Omen Valica. Yeah, it's gonna be the one dude that goes to day two with like Quill Spike Calm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it is so hilarious to see these random decks that they either they hit a luck sack. And they just stomp people left and right, or people are not prepared for the roguish nature of them, or they just play scrubs all day long and they make it to day two. Nothing <laughs> in Magic is as as is as exciting. Oh god, I'm so tired. As watching some random guy bring a bunch of jank and stomp ass. Yeah, that's why Beamy's sitting over there right now with his fingers crossed, just going, just going infect, infect, infect. Yes. <laughs> Infect and extended, yes. There we go. <laughs> Turbo infect nope. proliferate uh, with mono black rogues. <gasps> oh, there we go, guys. Yeah. yeah go. Infect and rogues. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And, and if they're and if you play the one that gets if they're not unblocked, they get plus two plus one, which means that you could easily kill somebody with infect. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But right. it's interesting because he does. He also discussed having the hard decision to make between four color control and fairies for Atlanta, which is interesting because I mean, originally LSV was you know the five color control player, and you know now it's cool to play it at four instead of five. So it'll be interesting to see what he runs with. I my gut says is he'll go to the four color control because he's comfortable with it, but it's going to be very hard to turn away as much information as he'll get and to say, well, maybe fairies is the way to go. I don't know. It, it's, it'll be interesting to see what the what a lot of the pros run. But speaking of pros talking about more extended, on Magic TV number 70, uh, uh, Tristan and Brad Nelson and LSV uh, discussed, it about, uh, discussed about extended in Atlanta. Uh, they talked about four color and control and Jun being played on Moto and uh, different options of other decks kind of like you referred to in his article. It was interesting to see that because you could see where there's, where LSV's confidence and extended is. I mean, obviously 6-0-ing at Worlds doesn't hurt at all. But it's interesting to see how he just, he's so subtly confident about it that it'll be very hard to not see him be top eight in Atlanta. I mean, well, good, man. I mean, I you can't complain too much about that. No, I, but I, what I'm just saying is, is I just think it's it just it seems to be he seems to be at home with that with that. And it was funny because we talked about in the video he had not done you know as, as much testing. And he actually took time off since Worlds, and to just see him be this comfortable, this confident about it, it's it's a very good. A very good way to start the season if you're coming into it feeling very positive about the current environment. Yeah, well, but, no, I agree completely. I just, I just think that, like I've said many times in the past, that he, I feel like he can just come in and win anything when he wants to. And if he is already feeling this way about this format, then that's good. I feel like he's got a really good shot then. Well, he's funny because uh, I. Uh, I had a conversation with Tristan off air, and he talked about LSV being just this sponge, where he just absorbs information, and 
it's interesting because he because he likes absorbing, getting many different people's opinions on stuff, and then he sorts through it and puts it together the best that works for him. Uh, that's a lot of ways. A lot of ways what good management will do is they'll have ideas in their own mind on what they want to do, but they'll take the input of everyone, dissect it, and then make it work for them. And I think that's in many ways he treats it like magic. But speaking of tre treating magic like you do, like you would in your life, Jack, should you talk about the next one? All right, let me just click on this article right here. You know, I always enjoy reading every Conley stuff. Unfortunately, this week I did not get a chance to do just that. But this week, Conley decided to talk a little bit more about how basically you can uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, God, I need to get some sleep. Okay. Um, it's all right, Jack. That's what editing's for. Oh, thank God. Okay. Basically, it's how you can deal with tilt in both your own life and how it can relate to your game state as well. What was really cool about this article, though, is he gave a huge shout-out to uh, Tom from Monday Night Magic, and what he was mentioning that Tom referenced is how sometimes, um, and I'm going to bring up the exact thing right here, Tom from Monday Night Magic on MTG Cast brought up an interesting phenomenon in the last cast that I think applies here. He noted that method actors who change their actual lifestyle to fit the roles they are preparing for keep each role within them as in some form going forward. That is to say that the simple act of, quote-unquote, being that character for whatever length of time it takes to mentally prepare for the role actually imprints the essence of that person into their own personality going forward. Essentially, rather than being a makeup of their own experiences and morals, they fit together like a puzzle where each piece is a different part of the character that they have internalized at some point. This might seem totally unrelated, but this applies to magic life versus real life scenario. If you can deduce that you're behaving differently or processing information information differently while you play magic as opposed to your everyday life, you cannot make the jump to view these two worlds as individual quote-unquote roles. Uh, taking this to a step further, you arrive at some time where your habits from magic and your everyday habits each mold together to form a new cohesive personality or set of behaviors. At first glance, this might seem like something as simple as being in the same magic as you are in life. There are subtle negative differences. And he goes on to talk about how even though, like, sometimes you may find your personality changing due to the game or changing due to things that are going on to you in life, you still have to strive forward and uh, be your own individual, essentially. Wow. That's that's very cool. And, uh, yeah, and Tom helped him uh, come up with that, huh? Yeah, it, it was actually pretty interesting. I mean, like, you know, getting the shout-out for Monday Night Magic was cool and everything, but uh, Conley always takes the same approach to deck building that he does to his articles. They're always very unique and original. And I appreciate the work he puts into him every week. So, Oh, without you, a doubt, Robert? man. I think that's, well, that's an awesome article yeah. from the sounds of it. Well, considering the fact that uh, he doesn't write an article, I mean, I've rarely seen an article under 2,000 words for him. You know, you think of the time it involved it takes to do that, and the videos, and the other thing, and he still has to be a quality Magic player. That is very difficult, and you wonder why it's a full-time job for these guys. Well, the perfect example is Conley. I mean, the guy works, works and works and works and works and works and works at being a Magic player, and it shows. I mean besides the results of the way he ended his year and stuff like that. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, okay, well, why don't we do this real quick, uh, Jack? Real, yep. real quick. 
Um, yeah, sure. Why don't we have some fun with this real quick? We're going to skip our last one. We'll go right down to the last thing here. Um, we're going to do quick thoughts of Player of the Year for 2011. Uh, maybe we can each take five real quick. Uh, five guys that we think that will do well, kind of keep track of it on our own, have a little fun with it. Sure. Um, and since you're the one that's on the latest schedule, sir, why don't you start? By all means. Well, the first man I would like to pick for player of the year is a guy that most have probably not even taken time to think of. He far outperformed many at Worlds and in his own respective <laughs> ways is a man that I think is a gentleman and a scholar. I'm voting for Titerastaporn. Of course. Of, the year. of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> and following him right up, I'm going to vote for Jack LaCroix for Player of the Year. No, 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 no. Well, well, wait, wait, wait. This just says picks for Player of the Year 2011, Robert. It yes. does not put any kind of stip... Oh, I have to pick a person actually running for Player of the Year. Yes, because we're going to keep track of it. And well... It- I think of the eligible candidates. Uh, is Brad Nelson still up for grabs? Uh, yeah, I think Brad Nelson's up for grabs. By all means, I pick Brad Nelson then, because much like the Wild Grizzly, Brad Nelson will plow his way through the other eligible candidates and seize the title. So so you didn't go with your uh, titterasta porn person? I'm totally going with titterasta porn. The man okay. was the only thing that had me above Chris Otwell <laughs> when we did the draft this year. I'm giving him the biggest shout-out I possibly can. Okay, Tangent, go ahead. You can take the next two. Okay, so two at a time here. I, I definitely, I'll go ahead and go with uh, Paulo since he got the shaftola once again. And then I'll go with uh, I'll go with Gary O. <laughs> We're going with Gary Oak again. Let's go with Jerry T. Yeah, yeah, poor Gary Oak. <laughs> well, I'm going to play it safe, and I'm going to go with LSV. And actually, I am going to go with. Surprising enough, after the way he finished last year... Uh, you can't go with Saito, man. He's been disqualified. <laughs> I know. I was going to go with Saito. But thought about it. <laughs> Jack, that's six podcasts in a row, buddy. Uh, I'm sorry. I swear if I ever meet you in person, <laughs> I'm going to punch you so hard in the testicles that you'll regret ever finding it funny. Uh, um, you know what? I'm going to actually go with uh, a... I'm going to actually take a chance here, and since... He is going on the tour. I am going to take a chance with our pick for Rookie of the Year, Nick Spagnola. I'm going to go with him. Figure his first year on tour, he can maybe catch him, catch a lightning in a bottle, and I'll see what he'll do. Go All ahead, right. Jack. All right. Uh, for my other player of the year, um, I'm trying to think. Well, there's a gentleman I would re- – no, 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 no. Let's not go with him. Um, God, we're going to find our draft picks. Ah, da, 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 da. Tell you what, <laughs> somebody else take it while I look for our draft picks. All Very right. briefly. Uh, well, we'll just do one each then here, Robert. Um, I will say – God, I had – oh, uh, let's go with Kibler. Okay. And since Jack's still in the endless search to try to find try to find anybody to help you on this team, <laughs> um, I actually, could just clutch out and say somebody I know. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. You know actually, what? Let's go with. Uh, 
I'm going to say Gavin Verhey. Why not? Nice. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to play it safe, and I'm going to go David Ochoa. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good choice. Go ahead, Gavin. Or go ahead, Jack. Gavin. <laughs> 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 All right, I got to pick another person. Uh, I'm going to grab Conley. Why so out there too? Well, I was figuring I'd let you have Conley, so that's going to be nice about that. All right, tangent. Hmm. Now uh, let's go with. Uh, Hmm. I'm going to go with Olivier Ruel. Okay. And since I, too, am going to meet my my requirement of people from other countries, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Wafatapa, since he did so well at the end of the year. Jack? Okay. Alrighty, I'm going to go with Daniel Grafensteiner. That's a good choice. Thank you. That was, that was my next choice. Uh, I mean, it was Jack, so obvious, really. You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, geez, now that I don't have Grafensteiner or Titteros well, the Porn. I was about uh, to say, there's still a Tecarata Paris, sir. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's tempting. That is tempting. And Guido Roccoli... Yeah. Oh, man. We we also have Igor Gorbanov. Gorbanov. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Um, let's go with... Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, let's go with G-Fab. Good choice. He was he was on my short list of people I had in mind, and now that you've eliminated him from my list, your list is even shorter. Yeah, my list is now even shorter thanks to you. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Uh, hold on a second. But so basically, my theory is we will just keep track of this by doing. Um, by just doing how they're doing in player of the year and so on and so forth, and then we'll just add it up at the end of the year and determine who did best. I mean, it's simple. It'll be fun. And that way we'll actually have uh, people to kind of attach ourselves to for, you know, for when these tournaments come out that you can actually kind of pseudo root for somebody. That sounds amazing. Yes, and I apologize. I am still having... <laughs> the absolute worst time here. Um, um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up the show a little early tonight? I think that uh, I'm good, and I know Jack's ready to pass out, so I think... Yeah. Well, actually, I have one last thing I'd like to say for anybody actually listening out there. Um, I'm trying to think of something to wear for Atlanta. And I want to wear something where people will recognize me and be able to pick me out of a crowd. So if any of our listeners have any suggestions at all whatsoever as to what I should wear, excluding, like, lingerie and going naked, uh, by all means, please hit me up at jack at mtgcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jack LaCroix. So you're not just going to go with the most hated man in magic shirt? No, no. Like, I thought about doing that, but then I was like, you know what? 
once again, Magic is a game that's all based about the community, so why don't I let the that's community true. decide my wardrobe? You should there go classy, is really what you should do. You should probably, like, go with, like, a tuxedo t-shirt. Well, what I was actually thinking is, like, I should arrive in a smoking jacket and my loafers that I typically wear when we're recording this very podcast, but, you know, I might be thrown out for indecent exposure, so that would be kind of bad. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well... Well, I did think about it, and I am going to go with my last pick because I believe he lives somewhere near in somewhere near the state of Wisconsin. I believe uh, Sam Black. Well, nobody's perfect. I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm just kidding. Sam Black's cool. It's fine. Oh, All right. Really, what is Wisconsin known for other than cheese? <laughs> oh. I mean, it's kind of like when you think of North Carolina, you think of like racism and incest and good food. You don't really think of like. Poverty or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, be careful, Jack. He's he's sensitive because he's always got his cheese head uh, near him. No. So he loves no. the cheese Did, head. Do you rub your cheese while we're podcasting? <laughs> well, I, I will tell you this: I'm the only person that, when they show those people on television, feel like taking my head or taking them and <laughs> knocking them in the next month because of how foolish they look. I swear the media in North Carolina has a stupid quota they use when they interview people. Like, they find the most buck-toothed hillbilly they possibly can, and uh, invariably this person never went to college, and they stayed on the farm and didn't do anything else, and they ask them all the situations, and it's always, like, within the first sentence they mention, over yonder, and I went and saw her. So, it, you know, awesome. you, you might have a gigantic wedge of cheese that you rub sensuously when we podcast, <laughs> but uh, I, I assure you, I have you beat on the, the na- national fault, sir. <laughs> and on that note, I, th- I think we probably should wrap it up for the week. So, once again, get a hold of us at manuscrewed at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter or Magic Online at TangentDYN. Where can you be found, Beamy? You can find me at the VME at online on Twitter. Send emails to manuscrewed at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. But I am on Twitter an awful lot, so you can find me there. And Jack. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, you can send me any wardrobe malfunctions and or ideas to jack at mtgcast.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Jack LaCroix. Um, be forewarned, though, I like to update my blog randomly with Twitter, and a lot of the material on it is not safe for work, so browse at your own risk. <laughs> All right, and uh, I think uh, we will get back to you again next week. Until then, I am Tangent. And I am Roberto. And I'm a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, and we are out later. <laughs> <laughs>